All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the sixth day of October 2020. I do want to tell you that I am the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. I publish every week, uh, send out a weekly. Uh, a weekly newsletter, usually on Saturday mornings, and then uh, a monthly as well that summarizes what I consider the most important topics of that month. You go to miningstocks.com to sign up for my letter, miningstocks.com. Or you can call our office during the normal work hours at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Uh, and also encourage you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling, he's done an excellent job uh, in the biotech space as well as the uh, energy and uh, mining s- uh, sectors as well. Chen has done extremely well for his for his investors, and um, you can go to uh, ChenPicks.com to sign up for his letter. And uh, Michael Oliver is a uh, every other week is with us. Also, we like to plug Michael's work, OliverMSA.com. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, want to thank you for sending along your questions and comments, positive, negative, whatever they may be. Send them along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. And we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for this week are Benchmark Metals, NV Gold, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp, Lion One Metals, Grand Partage, GMV Minerals, and SK Mining. I've titled today's show, COVID-19 and the Agendas to Come. That's after the uh, title of a book of our guest today, uh, James Perloff, and he will be with us during the second half of today's show. Never, in the la- never, at least in, the, in my 73 years of life in America, has there ever been a greater suppression of liberties than we have experienced this year with the rise of COVID-19. It is reminiscent, in my view, of the stories that we heard coming out of the Soviet Union when truth about starvation in the Ukraine was being suppressed by the New York Times, which, by the way, is one, once again suppressing an open discussion among scientists with respect to COVID-19 and what policies would be best for America. It is also reminiscent of the topic of global warming where a free and open discussion among scientists of opposing views is not permitted. Or in the area of economics where alternatives to Keynesian economics are not allowed to be heard and taught in our state-funded universities, even if it is clear that Keynesian economic policies 
absolutely have led to economic destruction over the longer run. In fact, as I will discuss in my upcoming Metals Investor Forum presentation on October 8th, Keynesian economics is leading us to the precipice of a depression as greater, greater than that of the 1930s. So obviously there are some subjects that are not allowed to be discussed in America because they threaten a deeply entrenched elite and privileged class of people. And because many of these of their ideas have little or no merit, the only way to hold on to their privilege is to deny any debate. That is not the idea our founding fathers had. They gave us the First Amendment uh, that protected us for, from uh, that protected our rights to speak out, according to what we believe, and also uh, gave us religious freedom. But as Ben Franklin said, we have given you a republic. Now see if you can keep it. Of course, that so-called progressive president, Woodrow Wilson, didn't favor a republic. No, he was all in favor of a democracy over a republic, even though the word democracy never appeared in the Constitution. But that set the stage for the transfer Wilson did uh, during his time to set the transfer to, uh, from a republic to a democracy, which we are now seeing transformed into a mobocracy in the streets of Seattle, Portland, New York, and elsewhere. So a mobocracy, once you, have, once you get rid of the republic and the forms of protection that our founding fathers built into our republic, like, uh, like the Electoral College and, and various other things, uh, then 51% of the majority can do whatever they want to 49% of the minority. And by what we've been seeing in the streets of Portland, Seattle, and elsewhere, that is, would seem to be a distinct possibility for the future of our country. So the question is, why in America, where freedom of speech and religion had been such a, 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 such a revered value, have we allowed those rights to be taken away from us now? That question and several more related to it will be asked of James Perloff in the second half of today's show when we discuss his latest book, COVID-19 and the Agendas to Come. Meanwhile, in terms of turning hard times into good times, the opportunity is there for those who recognize the need to swap their savings out of dollar-denominated assets into assets that hold value, no matter how much money is printed by the Federal Reserve. In my presentation at 3.30 uh, New York time, this coming Thursday, October 8th, at the Metals Investor Forum, I will be explaining why this recession is different from any of the others that have occurred since the 1930s and why a massive amount of fiscal stimulus funded by an equally massive amount of printing press money from the Fed is the only politically palatable policy for our government, no matter who wins the presidential election in November. So be sure to sign up for this event. You can do so by clicking the Metals Investor Forum banner at J. Taylor Media, J-A-Y Taylor Media. Attendance at this virtual event is free, but you do need to sign up for it beforehand. After my presentation, you will hear uh, Dr. Quentin Henning of Novo Resources, Marcel Robillard of Puma Exploration, and Tom McNeil of Amanika Minerals and Metals talking about their projects. Novo, of course, is on to... Uh, Dr. Henning and his team are on to building a mid-tier gold miner that will be starting to produce, uh, expected to start producing the first quarter of 2021. Puma Exploration is a company that has a project in New Brunswick, Canada, that is the spitting image of the emerging Galloway Metals project in southern BC that is on its way to becoming a multi-million, high-grade, near-surface gold deposit. And Amaneka 
mining and metals is in the process of freeze mining some of its highest grade some of the highest grade plaster deposits ever reported in modern times at its BC project. Now the only reason that has not been mined at this point in time is that because in the past uh, miners were not able to mine the gold from this underground environment that is very wet. Uh, but by freeze mining, much as is done in some of the uh, uranium mines in uh, in Canada, uh, the same technology can be used, has been used, has been demonstrated to be used, and used very safely and uh, profitably with this very high-grade deposit. Amaneka's main target, though, is uh, the load source of this plaster material. It is a very exciting story, and all three of those are co companies, of course, that I cover in my newsletter as well. So I'm happy to say that uh, I have three very exciting companies and I'll be, uh, they'll be telling their story after I do my presentation on October 8th, uh, starting at 3.30 New York time. Also speaking at the conference before me will be Keith Schaefer and Eric Coffin, and following me will be Gwen Preston, and I'm sure you won't be sorry if you spend some time learning about some of the companies that will be presented at this, uh, at this forum. Uh, and speaking of spending your time wisely, I suggest one way to do that would be to stay with me during the commercial break that is coming up now because when we come back, Ian Clausen, he's the president of Grande, of Grande Portage, will be with me to talk about that company's very high-grade gold deposit that is taking shape with this summer's drill program in Alaska. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Ian Clausen. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jerry Taylor. I'm really happy to have with me once again Ian Clausen. Ian uh, adds 20 years of experience in uh, business management, public relations, government affairs, entrepreneurialism uh, to the companies that he manages in the junior exploration sector. Uh, and he has uh, a very stellar academic background and uh, also uh, has served uh, in government in Canada and a really great guy. I've met him several times now on my trips to Vancouver, and I'm really pleased 
to have him with me today. Uh, he's here today. We did have him on once before to talk about GMV Minerals, another company that he's uh, very much involved in leading. Uh, it's a company that I like. It's also a sponsor to this show. It's a company that I own. Uh, it's also a recommendation in my newsletter. But today we want to talk to him about Grand Partage, a sponsor of this show and also one that I own and is in a recommendation in my newsletter. So I'm really pleased to have Ian with me. Uh, before I say hello to Ian, I should tell you that the stock trades in Toronto under the symbol GPG. You can buy it in the U.S. as I have under the symbol GPTRF. Uh, the last count that I have, 78.8 million shares outstanding, trading yeah, somewhere in the 49 to 50 cent Canadian range, the last I looked earlier today anyway, uh, giving it a market cap around 38 or $39 million in Canadian currency. Well, thanks for joining me, Ian. Hi, Jay. Thanks very much. Uh, my pleasure to, to join you and your listeners. Uh, uh, listening to your opening, uh, uh, you mentioned 20 years. Uh, I guess nothing really stops the clock because it's, uh, it's closer to 30 years now I've been oh. in this business and I've known you well, for maybe about that 10, says our, so nice to be yeah. here. Oh, okay. Well, we'll make a note of that, but uh, you have a very youthful picture, so I took the 20 years to be, uh, to be accurate, but that's probably just um, a dated bio, perhaps. We'll have to update it here. Uh, when we have you on again. In any event, um, you have a very exciting story here at Grand Portage, the Herbert Project in Alaska. And, um, you know, you're starting out here with 606,000 ounces, grading 10 point, well, just a little over 10 grams per ton, which is really quite quite stellar. Tell us about uh, the project, the Grand Portage. Uh, give our listeners an introduction to this story, which they haven't heard before. You bet. Um, we're thrilled to be working in Alaska. Uh, as you uh, correctly point out, we uh, uh, have 606,500 indicated ounces in a 43-101 at just over 10 grams, but we also have 251,700 uh, in the same 43-101 in the inferred category, and that's just over 14 grams. Wow. Um, we, were introduced to, we were introduced to this uh, uh, property, which is in the historic uh, Juneau Gold Belt uh, of southeast Alaska, uh, we're, we're sort of wedged almost halfway directly between the Kensington Mine, which is operated by Coor, some of your li- listeners may know, um, mm-hmm. and the uh, historic Treadwell and, uh, and AJ Mines to the south. Um, those are in and around the Juneau area, and uh, in their day were two of the largest gold mines in the world. We started out with a, a 65-35% interest with uh, Dr. Tom Patton and Katera, uh, when you could have a pipeline of companies as a junior, uh, this was the last one that they hung on to. And uh, so we negotiated a, 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 an earn-in where all the money went to the ground, went to the project, uh, not to the company. Uh, and so we drilled it in 2010, 11, and uh, 12. Uh, ended up in that period of time filing two 43101 resource calculations. Um, and in 2013, which really was our, our, our first one, uh, we had about 182,000 ounces of gold at just shy of 7 grams, uh, increased it uh, back in 2017-18 uh, when we re-drilled after going through a bit of a quiet period like a lot of juniors did. Um, but we increased the asset, both in terms of size and grade, uh, just shy of 270,000 ounces at uh, over 7.25 grams, uh, and then an inferred calculation of just over 82,000 at over six. In, in 2018, we drilled again and uh, had a, a considerable uh, success on, on what we're calling the goat vein, um, mm-hmm. which uh, 
uh, was very rich in, in a number of intercepts, uh, not only from surface, but as well as, uh, uh, you know, up to 200, 225 meters deep, so that uh, we have the, the resource calculation that we do today. Yeah, and uh, I, but as I can see, looking at some of your materials on your website, you've really got a lot to shoot at yet. Uh, th- this is a vein system, and as I see, there's uh, there seems to be quite a few of these veins. I don't know if they're all gold-hosted uh, or not, but they're, they seem to be running more or less parallel to one another. Um, how many veins have you, have you tapped into? And, you know, give us some idea of what, uh, what the upside is in terms, of, uh, in terms of targets yet to be explored and drilled into. Sure. Um, the, these are, this is a mesothermal vein system, and um, they pinch and swell, but when they're uh, uh, quartz uh, bearing, um, you know, very often we're finding them, if not always, mineralized. Uh, the veins all lie in an east-west trajectory between two northwest striking uh, tectonic faults. So the system is, is easily identified. The veins themselves express at surface. Uh, three of them express for up to about a kilometer at length at surface. And, of course, uh, you know, they're known to go very deep, uh, you know, 3,000 feet or more. So um, our geologists at this point feel that we are probably have only tested about 30% of the property. Our resource is only partially on three of the primary veins that we have drilled to date. And, uh, and we've never really gone deep on this property. Uh, the budget just hasn't been there. We're still defining the tips on, on, the, on the resource from a lateral standpoint. But we certainly have uh, identified um, approximately six uh, of these uh, veins that uh, uh, continue to look very good to us, continue to, to assay very well. And in 2018, we just expanded that uh, prospectivity by doing what's called a LIDAR survey over our property mm-hmm. holdings. And that uh, uh, unveiled, uh, you know, up to 16 new parallel structures to the south, uh, which uh, uh, are all stacked just the same way, 2 to 225 meters apart, steeply dipping to the north. And, uh, in fact, this, this summer we're, uh, we're putting our first drills into one of those veins and uh, uh, anxiously awaiting the assays back on that. Mm-hmm. So they're about 200, did I hear you say 200 meters or so apart, these veins? That's right, yeah, about two yeah. to 225, uh, depending upon where you're standing on the property. And they come right up to surface, or how close to surface? Yeah, no, they express right at surface. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, a little while ago, we, we did what's called a channel sample across some exposed quartz at the surface, and we ended up with uh, just bonanza grade, eight and a half ounces over 1.12 meters, uh, and not too far from that, uh, about three and a half ounces over uh, over a meter. Um, so, yeah, pretty spectacular right at surface. So you would think that, I mean, I know it's too early to think about mining yet. You have a lot of drilling to do, and you're, you're not miners, you're explorationists. But do you have any sense, I mean, obviously if it comes right up to surface, there would be some surface mining would be the idea, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I'm the, the main vein, the goat vein, the deep trench vein, those are three primary veins that we've spent a lot of time and effort on. Uh, they all express right at surface. Um, we would likely start, I mean, this would be an underground mining operation. It's rich enough to be so. Um, and uh, we'd likely start on, on the goat vein, uh, do about a 1,000-foot decline, um, and, 
Yeah, it would be stoped mining, uh, likely shrinkage method to start with, where we had uh, a high measure of control. And then later, after more knowledge is developed, uh, we would include some long-line stopes to be developed on the property as well. From what you know at this stage, are all of these, the mineralization of these various veins, the same geological event? Uh, is it the same system? that? Uh, and, and as you mentioned, mesothermal deposits generally run deep. Is there some concept by your geologist that uh, that this thing, that these veins could somewhere join at depth? Yeah. You know, it's it's probably a little bit early to know. Um, <laughs> until we go deep, um, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're not going to be able to, to uh, figure that puzzle right. out. Although it's worth pointing out that, uh, you know, there's hundreds of rich gold splays that come off of these primary veins and lie between, mm-hmm. and, and we know a number of them are mineralized. So when underground mining does occur, uh, you know, those will be captured. Uh, this year, we had some really pleasant surprises out of, uh, out of drilling uh, from the T-pad going south, which is our northernmost pad. It was there to intercept uh, the scout vein and, uh, and the main vein, but, but uh, we, we intercepted uh, uh, in both of the first two holes um, some really nice quartz uh, that ended up with VG in it and was, mm-hmm. in fact, what we've just recently uh, disclosed in our first uh, after results that came back. But, yeah, it was nice to have, uh, you know, 2.7 uh, uh, meters of, uh, of about 53 grams gold yeah. Um, yeah. when we didn't expect to see it there. So, yeah, uh, yeah. There, there could well be some areas to capture uh, interest between, between the primary veins. Interesting. Now, how much drilling have you done so far? How much has yet to be done, and how much have you reported and yet to be reported? Yeah, this good summer, um, we'll are are we're running two drill rigs. Um, we'll have the one drill rig uh, conclude on its final hole some point next week, and uh, probably the week after that, uh, the other rig will conclude. Uh, so we're looking to do twenty-one, twenty-two holes. Um, for the entire uh, uh, work program that we're involved in right now. Uh, we've only uh, received uh, four holes back, and they've been disclosed. Uh, so we've got lots of assays to come back from the lab. It's been, it's been a pretty uh, busy period for the labs, but also the, you know, the COVID pandemic and staffing has certainly set them behind the eight ball. So things are, things are slower uh, than they have been before. Um, but what we like about what we've seen so far this year is uh, we stepped out, which we tend to do. This is all step-out drilling, uh, as, mm-hmm. we're, as we're anxious to find the extent uh, and the tips on the deposit, as I put it. But on these first holes, they came from Platform T, our northernmost, as I mentioned, and Pad mm-hmm. U. And uh, so what we've done is we've been able to demonstrate uh, mineralized rock from the assay lab uh, 170 meters to the east on the goat vein. That's further east, I should say, 170 meters than we've ever drilled before. Mm -hmm. Uh, Similarly, 100 meters extension on the deep trench vein. And in the main vein, uh, the third, the center uh, of our our deposit, uh, we've gone 200 meters deeper than ever before, and all three of these uh, have ended up uh, returning mineralized uh, gold in in the veins. So, you know, this is a quick way to add uh, tons and ounces to a deposit, and uh, we really like what we're seeing even after just four holes. Well, you're liking in terms of uh, continuity, I guess, at this stage anyway. Absolutely, yeah. The con- yeah, continuity of reliable and predictable, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, any metallurgical studies done yet on the on this material? It sounds like it's mostly quartz. And it doesn't sound like it's something that would be problematic generally, but have you done any any work on that yet? 
Yeah, we, we've done a, a number of bottle roll tests on the, on the three primary veins uh, to test the, uh, with cyanide to see if there's any refractory mineralization. There's none. Uh, gravity tests, uh, which is your cheapest recovery, um, we're getting you know, mid-90s uh, recoveries mm-hmm. in gold, uh, high 70s in silver. So, uh, uh, yeah, we're really pleased with what we're seeing on the metallurgical side. And some of the other issues that we always have to check off the boxes on, uh, infrastructure, native issues? Um, From an infrastructural standpoint, we're located six minutes by air from the Juneau Airport. Uh, We're close to Tidewater, power, uh, skilled workforce, familiar with mining. Uh, So uh, from a a geographic uh, standpoint, um, you know, we're really quite lucky uh, to have something uh, as close to urban uh, Alaska as, as you can pretty much get. Uh, no, no native uh, issues to speak of, uh, not like our fellows, uh, 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 compatriots, if you will, uh, exploring the province of British Columbia where it's often an issue uh, to resolve. But no, we have uh, no, uh, no issues in, on that regard uh, in southeast Alaska. Um, well, I, all I can say is you've got a very low market cap uh, compared to a lot of companies these days that have had, you know, have done well with their exploration. It seems like you, this is an opportunity for people, um, given the fact that you're not overpriced yet, uh, I would say, you, with lots of, lots of upside. Uh, how's your funding situation at this stage? I guess you have enough to take you through this drill season, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are a junior. We're competing with all the other juniors out there. Uh, you know, the difference between our portfolio and, and perhaps some others is, uh, you know, we come to the table with 860,000 ounces already in a 43-101 and just looking to, to grow that this year. From a funding standpoint, um, we raised a, a couple of million dollars early in 2020, uh, and then Eric Sprott, who uh, uh, is... Uh, uh, probably easily one of the most renowned uh, commodity gold investors in the world, um, uh, asked uh, us to consider a $3 million placement, which we uh, uh, very happily did uh, in the end of June. He's our single largest individual shareholder now. Uh, he is the reason we were able to put a second drill uh, to work on the property uh, this summer. Uh, so we will end the, uh, the season with somewhere in the vicinity of $2.2, $2.3 million in the Treasury, which is pretty uh, pretty enviable, knowing that uh, next year we can come out of the gate and, and funding requirements are not going to be uh, uh, ever-present like they have been historically. Yeah, well, it's a good feeling. A great feeling, and it's, of course, it's, it's a great time for our sector, Ian, because, uh, you know, companies are able to raise money, and they're putting geological theories to the test, and, uh, and when they're successful, it's just a lot of fun, that's for sure, and it looks like we should have a lot of fun keeping our eyes on what's coming. You'll have a lot of information, a lot of drill results coming in the next, what, several several weeks, I suppose. Yeah, the way the labs are running, Jay, we're uh, probably looking at news flow right into the early new year, um, mm-hmm. given the fact we still have both rigs turning right now. Mm-hmm. And then I guess you'll set up a new, dr- a new uh, exploration program early next year, probably, based on the results this year. Exactly. Yeah, we'll digest uh, the results when we get them all in and uh, formulate our plan for 2021, uh, apply for permits, and uh, if uh, if we connect enough dots, uh, we'll likely commission a, an update to our 43-101 so that we keep uh, interested stakeholders and shareholders uh, apprised of our growth. Getting over the million ounces there, possibly. 
I would think. Hopefully. Well, exactly. So, that's, hey, that, that's, exactly. That's this year's. Uh, that's this year's mandate. Okay. Well, it looks like you're on the right track. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much. Anything? Any last word, or is that have we covered pretty much what we need to from an introductory point of view today? No, in a in a few minutes, I think we were pretty thorough. I would just, uh, if you like gold uh, in the United States in a safe jurisdiction uh, with lots of upside from uh, from a, a drilling standpoint, uh, please keep an eye on us. I think we've uh, we've got what it takes to surprise a few people. Yeah, in your website, of course. Um, what is it? It's I should have had it jotted down here. Yeah, Grand GrandPortage.com. Okay. And uh, there's, uh, if anyone's interested in, in uh, signing up for future news release dissemination or keep an eye on us that way, we'd be happy to uh, take your details and, uh, and uh, put you on our list. Certainly a recommendation for me to do that and uh, also a recommendation that you follow them through my newsletter because uh, it's one of my favorites. So thank you so much, Ian, for being with us today, and uh, we'll look to keep up with your story going forward. Thank you, Jay. Stay safe. Best to your listeners. All righty. Bye-bye. All right, take care. All right, folks, well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because I'll be right back with James Perloff, uh, author of COVID-19 and the Agenda to Come. should be a very interesting topic, uh, very interesting comments from James, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. NV Gold Core, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTC, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi million ounce gold deposit in North America. With an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2020, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors including Eric Sprott, a globally recognized technical team, technical coverage from industry gold experts, and cash in its treasury. Visit NVGoldCore.com to learn more on this exciting story. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again James Perloff. He was with us uh, a couple of years back. I think 2017 might have been the last time we had him on the show. James is the author of a number of books. Uh, the first one that I, I think the first one that he wrote was The Shadows of Power, uh, an expose of private influence on American foreign policy that is it's sold over, well, at least the last count, over 100,000 copies. He's written a bunch of other books as well, I really have a very high regard for James and his intellect and his honesty and his willingness to take on issues that are uh, that are, you know, not the kind of issues that the mainstream media necessarily wants you to think about or talk about. Uh, but he has the courage to 
go and to say what he believes is true, and that is really what I think is very important in a day in which people are really trying to be politically correct uh, and ignore, in many cases, ignore the truth about various issues. Uh, the book, and we want to talk to him today, is uh, COVID-19 and the Agendas to Come, Red-Pilled. Um, in this book, he asks some really hard questions about the global response to COVID-19, and that is mostly what I want uh, to talk to him to today about. Uh, James, thanks for joining me again. Well, Jay, thank you. It's it, Like you said, it's been a, um, a few years, but uh, really good to be back on the air with you. It is good to have you back, and I should mention it's jamesperloff.com, folks, if you want to follow up after our discussion today with uh, all that James is doing, jamesperloff, P-E-R-L-O-F-F.com. James, you know, as I mentioned, the first time I learned about you was through a book called The Shadows of Power. Uh, Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that book, just an overview of what it's about? Sure. Uh I became what you might call blue-pilled, and that is a, a, a metaphor that's taken from uh, the film The Matrix. Uh, people who are blue-pilled basically just accept whatever the world media tells them, and people who are red-pilled have started to wake up to what's really going on. Um, I got uh, red-pilled, you might say, when I read Gary Allen's book, Then the Other Call of Conspiracy, in 1978. Then I began writing for the New American Magazine in the mid-1980s, and they asked me to write an article um, in 1988, which turned out to be a book, The Shadows of Power, the study of the Council on Foreign Relations. And what this deals with is the the reality that America is not really a democracy, but rather we're run by a a financial oligarchy that runs behind the scenes on the facade of democracy. And they were using the Council on Foreign Relations as uh, a means to uh, supply cabinet-level personnel to presidents, whether they're Democrats or, or, or Republicans, and that's easily documentable. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they've had about 20 each of uh, secretaries of state, secretaries of treasury, secretaries of war and defense, and CIA directors. If you, you go through the records, they've just dominated. And uh, but that was, you know, the uh, the old American establishment, the Rockefeller Morgan means of um, of controlling our, our domestic and foreign uh, policies. And so that was uh, that was a bestseller in 1988, and I've continued to explore geopolitics since then, always always following a learning curve of my own. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think Donald Trump is a problem for these folks? Well, uh, he certainly uh, has the right sound bites. You know, I, I voted for the guy, and you know, it really in, in 2016 it was absolute no brainer to vote for him against Hillary because Hillary Clinton. Not only did she get more donations from Goldman Sachs and Wall Street than anybody else, but every plank in her agenda in her platform was uh, what you might call Rothschild. It was, uh, you know, control of the Internet. She was a hawk on wars. She was a uh, pro, you know, the gay transgender agenda. When you name it, she was she was bad news. Donald had a lot of the right sound bites. I've been concerned um, with some of the... Um, uh, subservience he's shown to uh, Netanyahu and, and the Zionist uh, lobby here in America. Um, uh, when it comes to, to uh, I don't know if I should say the word or not, I'll call it the big C, the disease we're dealing with right now. He's given some mixed signals. He, I mean, he uh, advocated hydroxychloroquine, which was a really good thing, and which the big pharma has been trying to suppress. On the other hand, he uh, established Operation Warp Speed in the the um, 
White House to, to get a, a COVID vaccine out, which we really don't need. We can get the reasons for that. But I mean, even according to the CDC, as of May the 22nd of this year, 99.74% of all Americans were surviving COVID without a vaccine. And, and they were using inflated death counts, uh, even in, in that case. Okay. So uh, I, I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm very guarded about Trump. Let me, let me, let me put it that way. I do uh, certainly support Trump's supporters, the deplorables, the constitutionalists, the people who are patriots. I'm 100% behind them. I think that Trump himself may be compromised if we were to look deep into some of the policies that he's implemented and some of the people that are surrounding him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that you have been following geopolitics since you wrote The Shadows of Power. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do you see some connections? Uh, perhaps you can help us if if there are some connections between your latest book, COVID nineteen, uh, and The Shadows of Power, because your Shadows of Power really look forward to a lot of things that have come to pass. I think since that book was written, uh, I believe that was back. When did you write that book? I uh, it was back. published in '88, although 88, uh, it was right. actually kind of in, in, in the works for a couple of years before that. It, it it was published. Okay, so uh, can you can you see some connections? Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, in that book, I spoke about how the Council on Foreign Relations had consistently advocated world government, and I documented that uh, from articles in their journal, Foreign Affairs, going back to 1922 when they were advocating joining the League of Nations and saying that only world government would solve the world's problems. Uh, David Rockefeller, um, who was chairman of the council uh, for many years, of course, was a big advocate of world government. And now we see in the wake of COVID that Gordon Brown, the former UK prime minister, is advocating global government to solve the COVID crisis. We definitely continuity here. And what's most frightening to me, Jay, is um, this channeling of all these COVID things into um, a global reset, cashless society, uh, uh, a global vaccine, probably mandatory, um, and a global digital ID with, uh, it it seems that uh, Bill Gates is at the helm of a lot of this stuff, even though he has no medical credentials. Uh, So definitely uh, the things I spoke about and the things we've warned about in alt media about uh, a new world order coming and a, a globalization of the world in a very negative way uh, are coming to fruition. And um, I'm especially concerned about this uh, global reset that the World Economic Forum is, is predicting will come in 2021. 2021, you're predicting what? Uh, the World Economic Forum is calling for a, a global reset. And okay. they've put out yeah. a video where people like the head of the World Bank and Prince Philip uh, keep talking about COVID as an opportunity, an opportunity, they say, despite the tens of millions of people who are out of work and suffering, they say it's an opportunity to change the world. And I'm afraid they're going to come up with a cashless society, you know, a, a, a digital ID, and with the, we might follow the prototype of communist China, which uh, ever since Henry Kissinger dragged Richard Nixon over there in 1972, they've been building up with American investment a uh, technocratic society there. They don't even use cash anymore in China. They're communist, which, you know, the communists usually lag behind the West, but we've given them Western technology and they're utilizing that with facial facial recognition, cashlessness, and uh, police state, uh, you know, high-tech police state, which I'm afraid may indeed be a prototype for what is planned for us here in the West. So uh, they have a social grading, I think, as well. So if you're not thinking the right thing or talking about the right thing or, or having the right religion or 
or, or saying the right thing about the political system or whatever. In other words, your freedoms, your liberties, the kind of things that we've taken for granted in America over the over the decades. Uh, basically, the government would have a way a way to shut you down, essentially, to deny right. you uh, to deny you your revenues, to deny you to get on an airplane, those kind of issues, right? Yeah, even before COVID, they were uh, had social credit scores in China, which meant that if you were obedient to the government, you had a better opportunity to travel, a better uh, opportunity for a good job, a better opportunity to uh, go shopping, and so uh, this is very uh, systematic uh, installation of um, the uh, the totalitarian state uh, on a on a technological level. Okay, looking at some of the chapters in your book, um, I think we've touched on. The second chapter, uh, Destruction of Civil Liberties, uh, just now, and what the remarks you just made. But chapter three, uh, was the lockdown necessary? Um, what, are you, what are some of the thoughts that you express in your book about that? Well, uh, yeah, I talk about uh, the lockdown's damage to uh, our health, you know, the delayed cancer and, and heart screenings, um, uh, the p- fact that uh, Reuters says 28 million Americans are now at risk of being homeless because they can't pay rent or mortgage. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can being homeless be be good for your health? Uh, you know, there was a survey before COVID that showed that 49% of Americans were living paycheck to paycheck. And we know that without uh, people working, there's, there's limited tax revenues for the government and the government cannot continue to sustain this lockdown indefinitely. We're looking at a, a potential financial collapse. I'm sure you. I, I, I think you would agree with that, and yeah, that could be absolutely. one of the things that would, would uh, lead to the to the reset. But as far as uh, why the lockdown is unnecessary, I have a chapter that is chock full of scientists from around the world, not just from America, from around the world, who say, from a medical perspective, there's no justification for the lockdown. You know, I quote for just for example, uh, Drs. Erickson and Masihi, who had a YouTube video out. They uh, tested more people out in the uh, they were out in Bakerfield, California they tested more people than anybody else in their region for COVID and they said that the chances of dying from COVID in California are 0.03% in other words it's something similar to a flu um, and they said absolutely we should not like that well that was censored by YouTube mm-hmm. um, and I quote many other people in this but one thing I wanted to do with this book Jay is um, many of the people like them and Dr. Knut Witkowski the epidemiologist and um, uh, Dolores Cahill, the eminent uh, PhD immunologist from University College Dublin, they've all been censored by YouTube. I Mm -hmm. I went through and I either found transcripts of their interviews or made transcripts myself, and then I took key excerpts, because I wanted this to be preserved in hard copy, because I've got a website, but I never know when that, you know, digital information, you know, that can go out the door anytime. So I wanted to really uh, preserve this, but I I quote in that chapter, uh, you were referring to Sukhrat Bhakti, uh, various German virologists who all say that uh, absolutely there's no justification for lockdown. The death rates are are, are, are so low that uh, there's no comparison to the death that will come from the lockdowns and the economic destruction and, and the tens of thousands or if not hundreds of thousands of small businesses that, that are going bankrupt. Well, in your book, you you do say that you you know you're not taking this disease lightly. That it is it is serious. And you have a medical background yourself. You, I think, you were a nurse, a registered nurse uh, in the past. But um, you, you could you put this in perspective, though? I think in one of your chapters you talk about uh, how, you know, the, the it, how this compares with other 
other other means of dying. I mean, there's lots of ways that people die. So putting this in perspective, how does this compare with with some of the other much larger methods of of, of dying? Right. Uh, well, it was interesting when uh, t- uh, President Trump announced the lockdown nationally, which is Friday the 13th uh, in March. Um, at that time, and this is from the Worldometer's uh, website, um, they said there were 21,000 deaths from coronavirus, but seasonal flu counted for 113,000, malaria 228,000, suicides 249,000, traffic accidents 313,000, HIV 390,000, uh, alcohol deaths 581,000, smoking over a million, cancer almost 2 million, it just goes on up. Uh, I'm not completing the list there. And also, if you put it in perspective, we've seen worse pandemics than this in my lifetime. And when I was a child, at the age of six in 1957, I got an, uh, a shot for the Asian flu. Well, the Asian flu killed more than a million worldwide. That's more than COVID. Even if you accept the inflated COVID numbers, we'll, we can get into how they've inflated the numbers. But uh, the Asian flu, you've got to remember that the world population back then was 2.8 million compared to 7.5 million today. So it's about one third. So uh, over a million deaths then was like more than three million today. Yet nobody dreamed of locking down economies or masking or social distancing. We're seeing something that never happened before. And, and I am a registered nurse, still am. Uh, I retired last year. I was a registered nurse for 45 years. And in the history of America, we have never quarantined healthy people. This is entirely contrary to protocols. And I have to say, uh, Jay, that as, as a geopolitical writer, I wrote, started writing for the New American in 1985, 35 years ago. I've never seen greater disparity in the in the um, mass media and government spokesmen, a greater disparity between what they're saying and what reality and logic say. Mm-hmm. Um, this is we're we're dealing with a, with a crazy, but the, the death rates are plunging. And Ron Paul has spoken about this in July, in one of his Liberty reports, he said the death rates are down 90%. So why isn't the media celebrating this good news that the mm-hmm. death rates from COVID are, are, are plunging? Instead, they started talking about um, uh, the, the case numbers, which is based not on people being sick, not on people dying. It's based on the PCR test. And as one eminent uh, German um, lawyer put it recently, what we're dealing with now is a PCR pandemic. You know, people test positive, but these people are not, uh, for the most part, symptomatic. We're actually, and I I quote a number of epidemiologists in my book uh, from Italy, from England, from Switzerland. Um, uh, uh, I quote uh, Beta Stadler, who's the former head of the Institute of Immunology in Switzerland, says the disease is gone at this point. Um, what, What they're detecting in the PCR test is just fragments of DNA, uh, that people have encountered from, uh, you know, when, when their immune system uh, ran into um, COVID, but they didn't get sick from it. And uh, this is just, this is craziness to, yet what you've seen as the death rates go down in places like Australia, New Zealand, and England, and in some and in some places, America, the, um, the, the COVID lockdown measures are uh, clamping down. Thank God for Pennsylvania and Michigan, where courts have now ruled that their lockdowns are unconstitutional. Yeah. You can only hope because I guess the I guess the idea is that if you keep enough people dependent, I mean, you said even before the pandemic, lots of people, a large percentage of Americans were living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. So if you take their jobs away, then they have nobody nobody to turn to but the government, essentially. Right. So now you've got some locked in votes, don't you? 
Well, you've got to certainly have a prescription for socialism there. Unfortunately, I I have heard reports that people are getting very comfortable living at home and yeah. getting the government paychecks. But obviously, uh, as you and I know, the government can't keep paying these paychecks forever. Uh, it, it would have to expand the money supply that would inflate the currency and collapse it ultimately. And I think that that's what the World Economic Forum is probably salivating for as they look forward to what they're calling the Great Economic Reset of 2021. Yeah, it would seem to be in the cards, and and certainly uh, some of the people that I follow, uh, people like um, well, there's a, a various you know high profile people uh, that, are, that are certainly talking about this. Well, I'm talking about the uh, uh, from Yale. Um, I'm missing his name right now. Um, uh, the the economist at Yale uh, who was uh, who, who was at Morgan Stanley for many years uh, mm-hmm. now talking about how he thinks the dollar is uh, on its last legs. Uh, certainly, a lot of people on this show that we talk to uh, believe that mm-hmm. that's the case. So it would be coming together, and the uh, the COVID nineteen the lockdown would accelerate the process and make sure it happens. I would think, but certainly the the only thing the policymakers can do now, uh, James, is to the only thing they know to do that's politically palatable, at least, is to print more money and accelerate this right. process of, uh, uh, you know, of, of, of indebtedness and, and eventually a, a, a currency that, that becomes worthless, I guess, which is why, of course, uh, I'm telling our listeners that they should be buying gold and transferring their mm-hmm. uh, their dollars while they still have some value into, into tangible assets. But let's get into it with just a few minutes we have left here. Um theories about the nature of COVID-19 and how it was spread. You, you have a chapter, you have maybe a few chapters in your book talking about that. What are some of the theories about where it came from, how it was, you know, what are some of the ideas that both the mainstream and people outside the mainstream are expressing? Yeah, well, this, this book is uh, it's broken into 27 very short chapters and uh, five mm-hmm. sections. The first section is on the lockdown which is, it's undisputable, we've had a lockdown. Um, I wanted to stick with that uh, at the beginning because it's indisputable. Then I talk about how they've panicked the public through hyperinflation of numbers, and there's various ways they've done that, such as conflating COVID with other diseases, tampering mm-hmm. with death certificates, et cetera. But as far as theories go, that's the third section of the book. Mm-hmm. And I, I start with a, main, of a chapter on the mainstream theory of the origin, which is that it was a this wet food market in Wuhan that was selling bat soup, but some people say they never did sell bats or bat soup. Uh, then I go into uh, the bioweapon theory, that this was bioengineered, and um, I quote a number of very credible sources, uh, Dr. Shiva Ayadari uh, from MIT, who, um, well, he has four degrees from MIT, who as pointing out that uh, this had to be engineered in a lab. I quote Dr. Francis Boyle, who drafted the U.S. language for the Biochemical Weapons Convention. He quotes a number of scientific studies. I quote an, a paper in, from in, nine Indian scientists saying that the, the, uh, based on the, um, the, uh, the examination of, of the, uh, the uh, genome of, of the virus, it could only come about in a lab. I quote Luc Montagnier, who won the Nobel Prize for uh, uh, for discovering the HIV virus. He says this, this could not possibly have come about by any place but a, a lab, as well as uh, Merrill Nass, biochemical weapons expert, and others, um, on the fact that this is, is clearly coming, uh, this, uh, if we consider this virus, is clearly coming from an engineering process. But I also look at other theories in, in, in the book. I, I look at the 5G theory. There are um, 
uh, I quote people on both sides of the argument. Uh, there's responsible people from both sides, but there are people, for example, Dr. Ronald Kostoff of the Georgia Institute of Technology believes that 5G, remember that Wuhan was the um, rollout city for 5G in China, mm -hmm. that 5G is weakening people's immune system and make them more vulnerable to it. And, and uh, Meg DeHavis, PhD, points out she's done studies that show there's a much higher correlation of... Uh, of uh, coronavirus, the uh, COVID in uh, areas that do have 5G as opposed to that don't. Not to say uh. that it it uh, it doesn't occur in people in 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 uh, in, uh, in uh, regions that don't have 5G. But but there's some other theories. I, I quote Dr. Uh, Stephanie Sanoff of MIT who believes that airborne glyphosate is a, is a factor. Dr. Zach Bush who thinks that the air pollution in northern Italy and Wuhan, New York City, was a factor. Um, I quote uh, Dr. Andrew Kaufman, who says that um, under an electron microscope, the, the uh, coronavirus looks exactly like something called exosomes, which are exudates from cells that are expelling wastes. And he says mm. these wastes can come from another source. So I, I, I try to quote a number of sources, not taking aside myself, but I try to leave uh, as many options open. Uh, but certainly uh, in doing so, I step outside the realm of consideration of the mainstream media, which simply says, always says, it's simply a natural um, mutation of the, of the coronavirus. Right, that's what they say. And I should tell my listeners, uh, it's jamesperloff.com. Uh, and James, all of your books are, are thoroughly, very, very thoroughly documented. Uh, I, I must say, you, you obviously do a lot of work. A lot of work goes into these books and a lot of checking your sources before you before you put them in there, so it's a, it's very it's very very important that people know that. Uh, I, I think we should end on uh, uh, perhaps your comments in chapter twenty seven, hope and encouragement, because as you point out, if you read everything up until that point in time, it can get pretty depressing. In fact, a lot of people are depressed these days by what's going on. Uh, but <laughs> sure. you but you offer some encouragement, uh, noting that at least uh, from a Christian point of view, there is no reason that we should lose hope. Right. Well, what I, I point out is, you know, if you look at the biometric uh, IDs that they're planning to actually, this is from, not from, and that's not a conspiracy theory, it's from Rice School of Bioengineering. I quote them on how they're at the uh, request of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they're actually planning to inject people with a, a digital tattoo that'll have your vaccination record. And now they're, they've got a project in West Africa where with MasterCard, they're integrating your financial data with your vaccination data. It's, uh, this is, you can't get much closer to the mark of the beast um, than this when you consider that right now in many stores in America, you can't buy or sell without a mask. Well, mm -hmm. we're only one step away from telling people they can't buy or sell unless you've got a vaccination you know, tattoo mm -hmm. on you. But um, in terms of hope and encouragement, I, I, I point out to people the Bible doesn't end with the Antichrist, it ends with Christ. And in that chapter, I quote many, many people, uh, the former uh, tennis champion Murat Safin, who's awake to what's going on. I quote uh, members of parliament from foreign countries. I quote doctors from around the world. I, I quote uh, mainstream uh, media uh, journalists from Sky News and, and Fox who are speaking up uh, about this. Um, uh, I, I quote religious leaders from the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, the Evangelical Church, and Muslims as well, who are awake to the fact that something is coming down that has nothing to do with our health. I mean, when you've got a survival rate of 99.74% uh, from the CDC 
as of May, and it's even lower according to the CDC now. They say if you're between 20 and 49, according to the CDC, your chances of surviving COVID are 99.996%. But I want to stress something. This is where I put a, a disclaimer in. I know we're almost out of time. That something make Bill Gates keeps hinting at pandemic two, and that there's something going to happen in the fall that will get people's attention. I am concerned that actual death rates will uh, start to climb in the fall. Either they release a new bioweapon or they turn on 5G at uh, full force. We know that 60, at 60 gigahertz, it has a very negative effect on oxygen absorption. So there's a lot of things that could happen, uh, but people have to get the book. Again, it's called COVID-19, The Agendas to Come, a Red Pilled, uh, ranked number one on Amazon yesterday for respiratory Excellent. disease category. Wonderful. So Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, James, we have to go. We'll have to leave it go at that. But thank sure. you so much. Very entertaining, very important information, and very well documented. Thank you so much. That is it for this week, folks. Next week, I'm going to have Rick Rule with me. Dr. Quentin Henning with, uh, is going to be talking about XK Mining, and Michael Oliver is with us. And so until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.